Well, good morning. Hope you had a great Thanksgiving, had lots of turkey. Uh, somehow, hopefully, um, you weren't allowed to see the Cowboy game uh, and what ensued from that. Uh, but still, we're back here together again. I don't know if you're familiar with some of the business practices, specifically of restaurants, but one of the things they have a problem with restaurants is when people come in and they hang out at a table too long. Because if a table does not get turned over, they can't bring in a new group of people who then they can feed and then charge. And so they have several different things. One of the things they do, of course, is they like to lower the temperature to a point where people get so uncomfortable that after they get done eating, they're saying, I'm out of here. That has not happened this morning. We are not trying to run you out of this place. But I do believe that because of all the turkey and the tryptophan that has been coursing through your bodies over the last few days, I think it's a good thing that's a little colder in here. That way, maybe you won't leave, but maybe you'll stay awake. That's kind of our goal for this morning, is if we can just keep you awake, maybe you'll hear a little bit about what we're going to talk about this morning. I apologize ahead of time if what you're going to hear over the next few minutes sounds a little bit like a book report. But there's a book that I recently read, and I want to share with you uh, some of the ideas uh, that came from it. As I have gotten older, not much older, but a little older, uh, I've started to read a little bit more and more. Um, I, I love commentaries. Uh, I love spiritual uh, books. I love devotionals. But I actually even like fiction a little bit as well. Now, when I read the latter, I don't actually read fiction. I typically listen to it. Uh, and so for this reason, uh, I chose to initially uh, get a book, uh, an audio book that I listened to, uh, and it came uh, from one of my inmates in class uh, who suggested that I pick up this book. He said, I think you're really going to like this book. Uh, it was good enough that not only did I listen to it, uh, I decided that I would purchase it because there are some uh, parts of it that I want to share with you. The book is written by Paul Meyer. I know nothing about him. Uh, other than he is somewhat of a biblical scholar who also writes fiction. Uh, he wrote this and several other books, but the one I'm going to be highlighting today is called A Skeleton in God's Closet. And the premise of it is actually pretty fascinating, so much so uh, that I ended up reading or listening to it in its entirety over just a few-day period. And so I want to share some of those um, ideas that came from it. Uh, with you this morning. Now let me give you a background and kind of tell you what the premise uh, of the book is. Uh, the book opens with best-selling author and professor of Harvard, a uh, professor of Harvard beginning a year-long sabbatical. A sabbatical could apply to clergy, but mostly it applies to professors uh, who after uh, 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 teaching for so many years, they will get a period off. In his case, he was going to get a year sabbatical. Dr. Jonathan Weber had just weeks before published his book, Jesus of Nazareth, as the book goes along. His insightful book quickly rose to the top of the best-selling charts and was heralded as one of the most thorough books about the life of Jesus, except maybe the Bible itself. His sabbatical was going to be an opportunity to get away from the limelight and back to one of his first loves, an archaeological dig in Jerusalem. 
But as he left one spotlight, he entered into a much bigger one. And not only a spotlight, but ultimately he would end, uh, end up underneath a microscope. Just uh, a few days into the dig, Jonathan found a sarcophagus. Uh, following further excavating resulted uh, in a find of truly biblical proportions. It was the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. Does anybody remember who Joseph of Arimathea was? He is the one who took the body of Jesus along with Nicodemus uh, and they placed it in uh, a new tomb that had belonged uh, to him. This was very uh, spectacular, especially in light of the fact that this was the first find ever from a biblical figure where they found the remains uh, of a body. Uh, Along with it, uh, were several other archaeological uh, finds, uh, including uh, pottery, linen, uh, the, the tomb itself. All of these were tested, and as a result, they came back as being 100% authentic. The pottery, first century. The inscriptions on the pottery were first century. Uh, the place where he was laid, the bones, everything carbon-14 tested came back to being first century. This absolutely was a spectacular find. Um, But that wasn't all. After the tests were concluded, a small wooden box containing a scroll was found at the head of, of, of the coffin. It was from Joseph of Arimathea, to Nicodemus. It was a letter he wrote <clears throat> to Nicodemus uh, right before he died. And so I want to read uh, what this book uh, uh, has in here. Now, for those of you who want to read this book, this really isn't a spoiler. I'm in the first quarter of the book uh, that I'm reading from. I think it's, it's worth reading. Uh, but the whole premise of the book starts with this, so I don't think I'm giving anything away. So here's what we have here. Uh, There's been a body found. They have no doubt that this body came from the first century. Everything around it appears to be 100% authentic and genuine. They've done all the tests possible. It came back. This is real. This, and, and because it was found uh, in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, back in Arimathea, not, not the place where Jesus was laid, they said this has to be uh, his body. So, now we're gonna, I want to read to you what, what Joseph of Arimathea wrote. He says, Joseph, son of Asher, to Nicodemus, <coughs> son of Shimon, peace. I hope you're well, friend. I was not sorry to leave Jerusalem, even though you wanted me to stay. Arimathea, the home of my youth, serves me well in my old age. I seek only the peace of God before I stand in His presence. To find that peace, I write you. A painful stone is lodged in the sandal of my soul, and I must remove it. Do you remember the Rabbi Yeshua, that's Jesus, whom we buried in my tomb a score and seven years ago during the governing of Pontius Pilate. I could not sleep after the Passover night. I feared that the noble rabbi, a man of such suffering, would not have rest that should come after that pain he was dealt. My servants heard rumors 
in the city that the priest had a plot regarding his body. I feared they might harm or mutilate it. Later I learned that they only wished to seal the tomb. Oh, that I had known. Not many hours before the cock crow, my servant Eliezer and I went to the sepulcher. We removed the body of Jesus and returned the stone to its place. We put the body onto a donkey cart, covered it with logs of olive wood, and returned to my house in Jerusalem. That evening after Shabbat, the Sabbath, we drove the cart to Ramah, where we reinterred the rabbi into the sarcophagus I had ordered for myself, but had not yet taken to Jerusalem. Only later did I learn of the excitement over the empty tomb. Before my Lord, I do not know why the priests did not examine the tomb before they sealed and guarded it. It was empty on the first day of the week because it was empty already the day before. When I returned to Jerusalem, I found you and the other followers of the Nazarene in such great joy over what you thought was His resurrection that I could not drown the very zeal that had overcome your sorrow. Forgive me, dear friend. My health is poor, my eyesight dim. Before I die, I must seek your pardon for hiding the truth these many years. When you read this, I may be dead. If so, I shall be buried not in the sarcophagus with my name, for Jesus is there, but in another tomb. May the Lord give you wisdom to those to use these words properly or to destroy them. Be in peace. Farewell, beloved friend. And so that is the premise of this book. Obviously, there are lots of pages to be written. And I don't want to give any more of the book away. And the book, of course, I believe is fiction. You believe it's fiction. If you didn't, I don't think you would be here this morning. But what I want to talk about for a few minutes is what would happen if the bones of Jesus were discovered. And it's interesting because this book delves into some of the reaction and the response of people who learn of this. And it really causes the, the governments to kind of start to crumble because they're based on the belief of who Jesus was and that He rose again. The calendar in which we use today is based on the fact that we believe that Jesus died and was resurrected. And as a result, because they found the bones and because people believed them to be true, church attendance plummeted. People started yelling at pastors and ministers and threatening them for cheating them all these years. People began committing suicide. It was just crazy how the world got turned upside down because the body of Jesus was found. And right in the center of this is Dr. Weber, who was a man of faith, who had struggled with some issues in his past of, of losing somebody he loved dearly at a young age and wondering, how does God fit into all of this? And having a, a, a dad who was a pastor himself, he was really caught right in the middle of, what do I do with this knowledge? And as it was still coming out and as people were still trying to figure out what's really going on, he got, got uh, asked and even attacked by people who did not want that truth to come out. People begged him, said, please, don't 
let anybody know about this. Call it a hoax. Say it's a fraud. Say that it's inauthentic. And it's just not true. Because if word really gets out, then this crushes the hope of some two billion people who believe in Christianity. In fact, at one point in the story, someone comes to him, begs him to to destroy the evidence, and then says, okay, how about you let me buy this papyrus for $15 million, I'll take care of it, and you can go continue to do digs or whatever you want to do, and I get to have ownership of that. At one point, he is attacked and nearly killed by a priest who wants nothing more than to destroy any evidence that Jesus didn't rise from the dead. And so the question was begged. What do you do when you have that type of information? If you were the one who had proof that Jesus didn't rise from the dead, would you be doing the world a favor by withholding it? Or would you be doing them a disservice? I mentioned that I didn't read this book. I listened to it. And I do most of my listening while I'm in my truck driving around all over the place. And it's really good. But one thing I learned, I need to get my windows tinted darker than they are. Because as I was listening to this story, I was not actually just listening, I was talking back to it. In fact, a few people noticed that I was screaming at my radio while it's going on. They drove by and looked at me, and I'm yelling and hollering, I'm trying to keep my hands on the wheel. And you probably won't believe what I was saying. When people are saying, Dr. Weber, hide the evidence. You can't let anybody know about it. You know what I'm saying? No! You can't hide it! You can't hide the evidence. If you really, really found the body of Jesus, you have to let people know. You can't hide it. Because... If you have the body of Jesus, that changes everything. In the same way, 2,000 years ago, if they couldn't find the body of Jesus, if He had resurrected, it did change everything. And in this story, Dr. Weber is caught between, do I tell the truth? What do I do? Do I try to hide it? And is it really important after all? Because there are some, and this is true, there are lots of people, liberal scholars, who believe that everything in the Bible is a story. That it's a myth. From from Noah and his ark, to Jonah and his well, to Jesus and his cross. That those things didn't really happen. Those are just stories. And liberal scholars would say, if you found the body of Jesus, that's great. 
Because what that really tells us is that Jesus, in fact, lived. It didn't matter that He was crucified and rose again. That's really not a big deal. The big deal is that we can prove that He was alive at one time. And that He was a good teacher and a moral person. And He reminds us of what God wants us to do. And that's liberal theology. But what do you say? And more importantly, what does the Bible say? If you have your Bibles, if you would turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I want to start in verse 12. Paul is going to talk about the importance of the resurrection. Is the resurrection important? What does it have to do with our life? What does it have to do with our faith? Listen to what he has to say starting in verse 12. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 12. It says, But if it is preached... Uh, let me back up for a little uh, a second. Some of the people in Corinth were struggling with, is there actually a resurrection? And he's going to address this. He says, is there really a resurrection from the dead? And here's how he answers this. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless. And so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that He raised Christ from the dead. But He did not raise Him if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. The importance of the resurrection. Regardless of what liberal theologians think, it is essential to our faith. If the bones of Jesus were found, then our hope is lost. Our faith depends on a Jewish carpenter who was the Son of God, born of the Virgin Mary, was crucified, He was dead, and He was raised again. It's a crazy story. Your faith You're here because you believe a dead person came back to life. Not from CPR, not from some medication. There were no doctors around. He's in a tomb. He has already been put down as dead. You're here today because you believe a dead man is dead no longer. That you believe that there was a resurrection. And is what Paul is going to say 
is that because of the resurrection of Jesus, we have hope of a resurrection. But there's one part of this story that I kept talking to my radio about every time as this story is going along. There's one thing that kept bugging me over and over again. They're missing something to this story. All this time they keep talking about we found the bones of Jesus. That's evidence. That's proof. That has to be it. And the one thing I kept going back to is you're missing out. What about the followers who claimed they saw Him? So let's stay in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, but this time let's back up all the way to verse 1 and let's read through and listen to this. Now brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you've believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day according to Scriptures, and that He appeared to Peter, and then to the twelve. After that, He appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then He appeared to James, and then to all the apostles. And last of all, He appeared to me all as to one abnormally born. He's referring to His abnormal birth and, and His coming to Christ after the death of Jesus and His resurrection. For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but by the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it was I or they, this is what we preach. And this is what you believed. Do you hear what he's saying here? He's saying, listen, we believe in the resurrection. We preach it. That's what we stand on. We believe in the resurrection. And he starts listing the people who saw it. Do you hear what's going on? They're not going to find the bones of Jesus. Because He's risen. But does a negative equal a positive? We can't find the bones, therefore, He must have rose? Is that what our faith is built on? Are we not out digging, still looking for the bones of Jesus? My faith is not on a tomb that simply can't be found or may be empty. My faith is found in the promises and the words of Jesus that have been manifest through you. You 
represent the body of Jesus. That's what each of you are. There's not a body in the tomb because His body is right here. You are a testament to the risen Savior. Because the life that you live, because of your perseverance, because of your joy in trials and tribulations, because of your faith, I don't need to think about where the bones aren't. I know where the body is. It's right here. It's within all of you. It's, when the, it's with the other people who choose to come together and talk about a risen Savior. That's where the real body is. The body was found among the people in the first century who said, this is Jesus. People who would sacrifice their own lives. That's where the body of Jesus was. It was never going to stay in a tomb because after Jesus would rise, He would call us to be the body that would go out into the world. People should find the body of Jesus in Hobbes living in you. And I believe that people see that. And my prayer is that you will continue to show a resurrected Savior. We are coming up on the season of Advent and we'll be celebrating the birth of Jesus. We do believe that God came as a child. And we believe He did many things. We believe He healed. We believe that He gave sight to the blind. He helped the lame to walk. And we believe that He rose from the dead. And we believe that He is not done. He's still healing our wounds. He's still offering sight to the blind. And for those of us who are paralyzed in fear, He offers hope. This month, as people find themselves thinking about Black Friday and Cyber Monday and all the craziness that goes on, let's remind them that Jesus came and His body is here. May we celebrate the birth of our Savior and our Lord Jesus Christ, the One who rose from the dead and who will raise us again someday. And let's celebrate that now as we stand and sing.